0: Hello, and welcome to Christ Fellowship Online. My name is Jeannie Rodriguez, and I want to thank you for joining us. If this is your first time, I want to invite you to pause the broadcast and visit cfmiami.org connect to fill out a connection card. This way, we know how to best serve you during the season. You'll also find a little gift in your inbox when you fill it out. And now, Pastor Rick will begin our new series called Asking for a Friend, where he's taking on your toughest questions.
1: Awesome. Well, let right. me just give you some quick guidelines. So uh, every question, we'll have about three minutes. Uh, you'll see a timer right there. Uh, we'll, we'll try to stay within that time frame. And then when that three minutes is up, you'll hear a little bell. There you go. All right. So, uh, so just to give us a, a little bit of a, of, of a guide. All right, Pastor Rick. Well, let's start off with a, uh, a lighthearted question, one that I, I kind of want to know. Uh, question number one, I have a little Yorkie named Oliver. All right, so I want to know <laughs> this question. Uh, what happens when our pets die? (laughs)
2: Um, All dogs go to heaven. (laughs) All cats go to, no, I'm just teasing. (laughs) I I love animals. You know, it is kind of amazing how attached we can get to our pets, isn't it? Um, I've, I've always had a pet as a child. Ron and I have always had a pet in our marriage. We have right now, we have a dog named Gracie. And we have a guinea pig named Agnes, and, and I love both of them. And so for those of you who are, who are kind of like me, you're an, you're an animal lover, uh, the good news is uh, when you look at the Bible and follow especially through the book of Revelation, what we find is that when Christ comes back at, at, the, uh, at the second advent, the first thing he will do is establish a kingdom on this planet, which we will enter into that kingdom. And in that kingdom, animals will pervade the kingdom then subsequent to the, to the end of that kingdom, that kingdom lasts a thousand years, Christ then destroys this planet and creates a new earth, a brand new earth that we will live on in bodies forever. And as we go into that new earth, animals will inhabit that world with us. So animals will be a part of, of eternity with us. So that's the great news. I guess the not so great news maybe for, for me, I love my uh, my little guinea pig, pig, her name is Agnes. She got these little cute eyes. Uh, it says something about her that I love. But th- the, the theological fact is, animals will not be raised from the dead. They will not experience a resurrection. And the reason for that is, is animals uh, like us, they have a body. Like us, they have a soul. They have emotions, you know, I, I can see, you can see. A, mm. How many of you have an animal and you see the, yeah, you see yeah. the emotions and feelings in that dog and you think, wow, well, that's a lot like us. But what they don't have is they do not have that third dimension. They don't have a spirit. Mm. You and I are a trinity. We're, li- we're made in the image of God and one way you are like God is you are a trinity. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit, yet you're one person. And it is that spirit that you have that an animal doesn't have that distinguishes you from the animal world. You're not an animal in that sense. And that's what gives you the capacity to be resurrected from from the dead. So Agnes won't be going with me. (laughs) So, okay, I hope that helps. Does that help? Okay, good.
1: Poor Oliver. We're going to miss him. All right. Question number two, is debt biblically allowed and should Christians have debt? Are there
2: different kinds of debt? Okay. Uh, you know, one of the things I love about our, our Lord, that's such a practical questions, question, but one of the things I love about our God is when He gives commands to us, when He gives rules to us, when He gives precepts to us, they're always, always for our good, right? Mm-hmm. It's like... God, and God doesn't hang rules on the whole world. He just puts them on us, who are his children, and they're, they're, they're precepts, and it's always saying this is the better way to do it, and check this out, because one of the things God does is he gives us an entire book of the Bible. It's called the book of Proverbs. How many of you have ever heard of the book of Proverbs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what that book is is it's basically, basically the wisdom of God. It's... It's sort of like God's advice on life. And, and in it, God talks as a father to a son, as a father to a, a daughter. And in the book of Proverbs, God talks to us about debt and how to handle it. By the way, guys in the room back there, if you would, go ahead, don't pull it up on the screen now, but pull up Proverbs 6 and hold on till it, till it till I call for it. But in the book of Proverbs, God says this, He says, the borrower, the one who goes into debt, becomes a slave to the lender. Hmm. Now, you'll notice God did not say, thou shalt not go into debt. But he does say, if you borrow money and you borrow more than you can manage, you will become a slave. Now, mind you, we can all manage a certain amount of debt, right? We can handle a certain amount of debt. But when debt gets beyond what you can manage, you become a slave because it's like a burden to you. We do often underestimate, don't we, when we're laying down that credit card, when we're taking on debt, we underestimate the, the fatigue and the burden that debt can put on us. In fact, let me just show you this with Omar, if you stand up just for a moment. Imagine Omar's going out to work. He's getting ready to tackle the rat race, but imagine he has an imaginary backpack back here. And before he goes out, he's got 75 pounds that he has put in that bag. Now, he's a pretty strong guy, so he's gonna be able to manage that 75 pounds pretty good. It's gonna slow him down some, but he'll be able to manage it. But then, imagine that periodically he puts more weight in there. He never takes the 75 out, he keeps that, he adds 25 more pounds. Then he adds 25 more. And a few years later, he adds 25 more. And then he adds 25 more. And pretty soon, he's hauling around 200 pounds, which will eventually not only slow him down and wear him down, it would eventually break him down. And that's what debt does to us. It, it's just too much. You can have a seat. It's just, it becomes more than we can bear. Now, with that in mind, listen to what? Did that bell sound already? Yes. Okay, so disregard <laughs> the bell <laughs> for now. Uh, with that in mind, pull up this verse that, that I was talking about. Look what God has to say about this. He says in Proverbs 6, 1, my what? My son. So God's talking to you like a son, like a daughter. He's saying, okay, here's what you need to know. My son, if you have put up security for your your neighbors, or if you have shaken hands in pledge for for a stranger, translation, if you've taken on debt, Hmm. watch this, you have been what? Trapped. You've been trapped. God says it's a trap. Why? by what you've said and stared by the words of your mouth, by the agreement you've made to take on debt. So, here's the advice. Do this, my son, to free yourself. Go to the point of exhaustion. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. Translation? God is saying if you have heavy debt, deal drastically with it. It'll destroy your marriage. It'll destroy your health. It'll destroy your peace of mind. Absolutely. And by the way, husbands and wives, you need to shoulder the debt together. It's not your debt when you got married, mine before we got married. It all comes into one pile, and you shoulder that together. And you need to get that debt off of you. Now, preachers are often guilty of telling people what to do without telling them how to do it. So here's what I would say in terms of how to get out of debt. We have a course at Christ Fellowship that we offer called Financial Peace University. University. And hundreds of people, am I right? Hundreds of people have gone through this course. And some in debt, some not in debt. But the course is designed to show you how to manage your money more strategically. So wherever you are, I would encourage you to sign up for the financial piece, university, and get help. Does that help? All right. For sure. Awesome. Next question.
1: Which, by the way, if, if you, since you mentioned, if you would like to more information about FPU that he mentioned, um, in your connection card you have in your worship folder, just, just in the small group portion, you just put FPU, and somebody will follow up with you, okay? I just, if you're thinking about that, that's the way to get connected there. Uh, question number three. I barely make enough money to pay my bills. Will
2: God be disappointed if I don't tithe?
0: Hmm. Uh,
2: Let me take a moment just kind of frame that that question because God does command us to tithe his children. Uh, A tithe is God says, I want you to give give a tenth of your income to his work. So that means every $10 you get, give God a dollar. For every hundred, give God ten. For every thousand, give God a hundred. And as you do that, God does not promise to make you rich as some... uh, TV evangelist would insinuate, he, ne- he never makes that promise. But he does promise that as you give to him, he will meet your needs. Hmm. In other words, God will take the 90% that's left over and make that go the distance and even further for you. But what about the person who, who has no margin beyond their income? In other words, there's nothing left over to give God because there's no margin in their in their budget. Now mind you, for some people, that's because they, don't, they literally don't have anything coming in to amount to enough. In other words, they can only pay their bills and they, they live modestly. And then you have another person who has no margin because they're up to their neck in debt. You know, we have such a, a, a diverse congregation here. We have people who drive to church in a Bentley. We have some people who take the bus to church. And so some people literally don't have the money and can't, can't tithe. Some people can't tithe. Because they've they put themselves into debt so far, they can't do it. So, here's what I would say to both of those circumstances. Just start giving something to God. Amen. Just get into a habit of giving to God. And don't, don't give arbitrarily. Don't, you know, oh, here here, God, Here's let me see what I got. There. Go ahead and mark off a percentage that you're going to give to God. If that's, if that's 1%, God, that's all I can give, I'm going to give 1%. And as you give that to God, give it as an act of worship. God, like, like the widow's mite, God, this is what I've got, and here it is. I give that to you. And then as you give, watch God do what God can do. Watch God start to take care of your needs. Go through Financial Peace University and start managing your money better. And as God starts, as you, you, as you watch God giving to you, and you'll see that happening. you'll see God make good on that promise. And then as, as he increases your income and gets you out of debt, don't, don't take that as a signal to, to elevate your lifestyle. Oh, okay, now I'm going I'm to go take that as the signal. Your first signal is to... Elevate your giving to God, because wow. I promise you this: you will not be able to outgive God. You will never say, "Woo, I gave him too much." He will always, Amen. always, always give back to you more Amen. than you gave him. Amen. a yeah.
1: little well practical. Well, was that the bill? I just yeah. Oh, okay. There you I go. You finished ahead of time. <laughs> All right. Question four: As a Christian, how should I deal with depression?
2: Okay. Uh, The first thing I would say is you'd probably be surprised at how many people around you are struggling with depression. You would be shocked. Depression is a part of life. It's a part of the human factor. We probably all have to deal with it at some point. In fact, you you would be amazed to know that in the Bible, some of the great heroes of the faith struggled and dealt with depression from time to time. For example, Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says he was, he was filled with sorrow and deeply depressed to the point that he was sweating great drops of blood. David, that, that great man of God, lamented in his own soul, talked to his self, talked to his soul and said, oh, my soul, he's talking to his soul, why are you so downcast within me? How graphic could you be? David's saying, why, my soul, why are you so, so downcast? By the way, your soul, when you see that word in the Bible in the New Testament, it's from the Greek word suke. it's where we get psychology from. So your soul is your psychological person. Put another way, it's, it's that part of you that can feel, can feel sad and that can feel happy. It's that part of you that can be thrilled and it's that part of you that can be deeply depressed. Now, let me just see if I can give you a way of thinking about that, of how our, how our emotions sort of go. Imagine a pendulum swinging, and 9 o'clock is thrilled, and 3 o'clock is deeply depressed. Most of us live our lives somewhere between 5 o'clock and 7. We swing back and forth between I'm happy and I'm I'm sad. I'm happy and I'm sad. But there are those times when it swings all the way over to, wow, I'm thrilled, right? (laughs) And just like that, there are times when it'll swing over to where I'm deeply, deeply depressed. Now, mind you, most of us don't live at, I'm thrilled all the time. We don't live at 9 o'clock, do we? Wow! hey, it's good to see you. It's a happy day. Yay! We don't live that way all the time. But we may swing that way occasionally, right? Just like that you can swing all the way over to that deeply, deeply depressed feeling. Now, depression is triggered by a a number of different factors. Circumstances can trigger depression. Fear can trigger depression. Anxiety can trigger depression. Regret can trigger (laughs) depression. And so, boy, I'm just doing bad with that little bell. <laughs> but they all, they all result in the same feeling, and that is a sense of hopelessness. You know, hope in the Bible from the Greek word elpida means to have a confident expectation that good is coming. If you're hopeless, that means you have no expectation of good. And that's what triggers depression. You just, you just see nothing good in the future. So how do you deal with depression? Let me give you just a couple of quick ways, because I've dealt with this in my life. I try to be an open book for, for you folks. I try not to be the, you know, the, the perfect guy. I got it all together. I, I'm just like you. I struggle with things, and there are times when I've struggled with that. And so for me, I always think this. I always, I always think to myself, keep your head up. And by that, I mean physically. Keep your head up. There's nothing worse that, 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 that I've sensed that you can do when you're depressed than to drop your head physically and close your eyes and just turn in and start to absorb all of that. Lift your head up to God. When Jesus was in the garden, he lift up his eyes to God He cried out to God. David, who was lamenting about his soul, said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence cometh my help. So keep your head up when you're going through depression. Don't drop it. <laughs> secondly, secondly, I would say compartmentalize your worrying. I've always, I've, I've kind of figured out with, with Rick Blackwood, when I'm going to be deeply sad or depressed, it will typically be in the morning. I don't know why that is. But if, but if Satan's going to get me, he's going to get me in the morning. Sometimes I can wake up in the morning and if things are bad. I can think the world is coming to an end. But what I, what I found is that I'll get to like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'll look back on that and think, what the heck was I worried about? That's no big deal. So figure out where those times are that you're vulnerable and compartmentalize that away and say, I'm just not going to worry then. Thirdly, if you're going through depression, Fight fight it. You know, we did a sermon a while back where we said you can be a warrior or a what? A warrior. And it takes a warrior to overcome depression. So fight it. And fight it by being a prayer warrior. You're fighting with your spirit when you're praying. You know, we said you're a body, a soul, and a spirit. Let me tell you, your body, your soul, and your spirit, they're close neighbors with each other. And What's going on with one affects the other three. So if you're, if you're depressed in your emotions, it can affect you physically, can it? You can be, right? You're, you can't get out of the bed. You can't get going. It can even affect you spiritually. So fight with the other two. So if your emotions are down, fight with your spirit. Pray. Lift up your eyes and call out to God. God, and God is there to help you. And fight with your, your body keep moving the last thing you want to do when you're depressed is stop and just lay in the bed so so exercise get out of the bed and and run and get yourself moving let your body fight for your soul let your spirit fight for your soul sometimes you gotta you gotta encourage yourself don't you you gotta talk yourself into it you gotta say come on self come on Get going. We're not going to just lay here and let this take care, take over, and get going for God. And you remember that line we had in the message a while back? It is what it is, but it's not what it seems. It is what it is. Tell yourself that. It is what it is, my problems, but it's not what it seems. And that means you are not hopeless. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right.
1: Okay, great. Number five. What does the Bible say about
2: suicide? Hmm. Okay, uh, sort, of, sort of along the same lines of depression because that's, wh- that's where suicide comes from, isn't it? Um, you'd be surprised that in the Bible there are people and great men of God who've thought about suicide, thought that life just wasn't worth living. Elijah was one of those great men of God who thought about, you know, life's just not worth living. Listen, when you get to that point and everybody could get there, here's what you need to know. When you're thinking like that, the first thing you need to know is those thoughts are not coming from God. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing you need to clarify. This is not from God. So where would it have to be coming from? From your enemy. And so when you think about depression, knowing that that's not from God, then, or a suicide, knowing that's not from God, here's what you need to remember. You know, God will get you through whatever you're going through. God has a tendency not to just, just go, oh, he, they're having a problem. Let me just pull them out of that problem. Let me, you know, just taking all our troubles away. You know, making us rich or whatever we want to be. God tends to let us go through things. You know, when you think about it, Noah didn't, God didn't take Noah out of the flood. He let Noah go through, through the, the flood. flood. God did not take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go out of the fire. He let them go through the, through the fire. fire. God did not take Daniel out of the lion's den. He let, let Daniel go Through the lion's den, God tends to let us go through things. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. God, you will get me. You will get me through this. So remember that God will get you through this. By the way, a lot of people think that suicide is the unpardonable sin. That's one theory you can immediately reject. That's an old religious tale That basically says if you kill yourself you didn't have time to say I repent and so you're going to hell the fact of matter is when you became a Christian all of your sins were forgiven all of them past present and future there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ so that theory you can immediately reject no one who commits suicide if they're a Christian goes to hell that being said, God doesn't want you to do it. Why? Because where you are, God is t- wants you to know, I'm, he's, he wants you to know, I'm going to get you through this. I think God wants me to tell some of you today, he's going to get you through this. Amen. Some of you need to hear that. God's going to get you through this. And God already has the plan on the other side. Yeah. I was thinking about this, you know, when, when Omar was saying that, I remember the word suicide, I always think about, it. I had four friends in high school high school, who killed themselves over a girlfriend. All four of them over a girlfriend. And you and I know there would be other girls, right? Yeah. There were going to be other girls if they'd have just gotten through that. Well, it's the same way with you and me. God is saying, you know, there's going to be, there's other plans for your life. I've got other things I want you to do. I'm going to get you through this so Stay the course. By the way, I I need to say this, because I think this is important. I'm going a little bit long, but this should be said. There's some people who are depressed chronically. Chronically. And it's almost like their default is to depression. In fact, I was was talking to a lady who, who used to attend our church. She moved away. Sweet lady. And this week on the phone, and I was trying to talk her through some things. And it was, it was, it was matters like she, she would think, I, I, you know, I said this, I think I'm going to hell because I said that. Well, no, you're not. Well, I did this, so I must be going to hell because of that. Well, well no, you're not. And well, I've, I've done this, and it, it, I could tell it didn't matter what I said, she was defaulting to that depression. And I think some people do that, and when that happens, I, I think you're not dealing with your mind at that point, you're dealing with your brain. And there's a difference. Your brain is just that piece of meat in your head up there. Does that, make, does that make sense? It's just that piece of meat up there that's like your heart, it's like your lungs, it's like your stomach, it's like your colon. And it, just like your, you can, your stomach can malfunction and you can have bad stomach and mad colon and all that, the same thing can happen to your brain. And that's when meds can help, medications can help. That was the first thing I asked this young lady, are you on your meds? You know, no, well, I want you to go to the doctor, you know, and talk to him and get, get you back on that. Some people think it's being unspiritual. Oh, you know, I shouldn't take any meds, you know. Listen, just like you need help for your stomach or your joints or your liver or whatever, there's something for your head. And, and my thinking is, this is just common sense, life is short. It's short. We just got to get through this life because eternity is waiting on us. And if meds can help you, then use them. Find a physician who's going to make sure you don't get addicted, who's going to make sure they're controlled, but God bless medicine and use it to keep going. So just thought I'd throw that in there. Is this helping? Okay, good. 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 All right.
1: Question number six, is it wrong to be friends with gay people?
2: Okay, uh, the short answer is no. To the contrary, you should be friends with the gay people that God brings into your life because they need to hear from you basically one message, and that is not to stop being gay. The message they need to hear from you is that God loves them and that God cares for them and that God God has a has a plan for their life. I think one of the things when we see all of this, you know, it's, it's on the news and all this, and it's politicized and all that. But I think one of the things that we need, I always try to stay out of politics. If, you, if you've been at Christ Fellowship, you know I just stay out of it. Um, I, I, I focus on eternal matters, just so you know. Uh, things like this come and go. But when it comes to this, the, the, these folks, one of the things I fear is that gay people think we hate them. That we hate them. And I'll never forget when we lived in Charlotte, when Rhonda and I lived in Charlotte, there was a gay rally in downtown Charlotte on Tryon Street. And it was, it was very publicized in the Charlotte Observer and all that. And so they were going to have their rally on North Tryon Street, which is like our Biscayne Boulevard. And all the anti-gay religious people went, and they got on one side of the road and the gays were on the other. And I was thinking, oh, I wish this wasn't happening. This is so bad. And I decided it was a Sunday afternoon. I decided I was going to drive down there and look. And so basically what I saw, the street was open. You could drive down the street, oddly enough. It was the religious on this side and the gays on this side. And what it looked like to me was the religious were saying, we hate you and God hates you. And I thought to myself, we'll never reach these people. We need to let gay people know that God loves them and wants to give them eternal life. That's the first thing we need to ask them. Not ch- We don't need to say, Stop being gay and then get saved. You need to understand that the only reason you and I live a righteous life is because we have the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. An unsaved person, this is so theologically important, an unsaved person is empty in here. There's nobody at home in there. In their spirit, nobody's there. They're devoid. So they have... Unlike you and I, we have something pulling us toward righteousness. They don't have anything pulling. So when you say to an unsaved person, don't look at that pornography. Don't commit adultery. They're like, why not? But you and I say, of course I wouldn't do that because the Spirit of God's pulling us that way. A gay person without Christ is just like that. They have nothing in them pulling them towards God. So we need to, first of all, lead them to Christ. And then when God's Spirit gets in them, then he will begin to convict them, and lead them in yeah. his word. So we can't jump over that.
1: Okay. All right, question number seven. <clears throat> will homosexuals go to heaven if they are believers?
2: Okay, same subject. Um, the answer is yes. Just like a Christian who struggles with pornography will go to heaven, just like a Christian who struggles with Jealousy will go to heaven, just like a Christian who struggles with lying will go to heaven. Yes, there's not levels of sins, folks. Sin is an effrontery to God. Period. And so, yes, can a gay person go to heaven? They're a believer. Yes, they will. Here's what I would say to a gay person who's, who's 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 a Christian and practicing homosexuality. I would say that's a sin, and you need to understand that God will discipline sin. God. It, just like God's going to say to a Christian who says, hey, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at pornography. I'm going to commit adultery. I'm going to lie. God's, you're God's son now. You're God's daughter. And he's going to go, no, you're not. I will spank you for that. And you will know it's me spanking you. I will stop you from doing that. That's the same way with any sin, whether it's adultery, whether it's… Uh, you know, I'll never forget when we lived in Charlotte. There was, there was this young lady that came to visit me in my office, and she was telling me, she said, my husband, they were young couples, she said, my husband is having affairs with multiple women in Charlotte. And she said, she showed me the paper, she said, his doctor wrote this note, his psychiatrist, and said he was born this way and he cannot help it. And so kid you not. So when he came in, he came in a few days later, I said, it doesn't matter if you're born this way. You can't do this. Just because you're born that way doesn't give you a license to do this. And I think that's the way we, we have to approach people who struggle with homosexuality. Because a lot of times Christians will say, well, you made a decision to be that way. And every homosexual person is probably saying, I didn't make this decision. I, know, I don't know how you are, but as a, as a heterosexual, I couldn't make myself become a homosexual if somebody put a gun in my head. I don't think I could get up and say, you know what? I think I'm going to change teams today. <laughs> I don't think I could do it. I know I couldn't do it. And I don't think they do that. I don't think a guy gets up one day and says, I'm going to start acting like a girl. They may be born with that inclination. In fact, I think they are. That doesn't give the right to do it if they're a Christian. Now, if they're not a Christian, hey, you're on your own. Go do whatever you want to because you're not God's child. God only puts rules on his children. That's why I hate politicizing of righteousness. We should not, and this is a whole sermon I need to preach sometime. God has not called us to politicize the gospel, to let's vote in who will make people do what we want them to do. It needs to be a heart change and not a political change, and so we should not be in that world trying to… Amen. Now, I say that as a church. Now, let me say, let me say this. We have some, and, and I'm, I'm, boy, I'm all over the place here, but we have, we have um, some high-ranking officials in our church publicly who do try, as, as a believer… To do things that will lead our nation, our people to do the right things. And they should do that. They should. God bless them. We should pray for them as they do that. I'm saying that's not our calling as Christ Fellowship. Does that make make sense? Absolutely. Go vote. Do your thing as a citizen. But for us as a church, we deal with eternal matters. Amen. And we stay on that. Okay. Thank you, Pastor. All right, question number eight. Okay, I need to speed up a little bit.
1: My six-year-old wants to get saved, which is awesome. How do I help her make that decision based on the love for
2: God instead of a love for me? Man, what a great question. Great question. You know what I'm going to do so I can speed up here a little bit? I I asked some of our staff to be down here to help me out if there were questions that came up that could be better handled by them. And I think this is a question that our children's ministry Mm -hmm. could handle better. So I'm going to ask Stephanie right here (laughs) to come. Let's give it up for Stephanie. Stephanie leads all children's ministries across all of our campuses. So Stephanie... you might answer that one for us
0: thank you pastor rick so this is an awesome question um and first of all i would celebrate that this six-year-old is at all interested in salvation and so if your child is asking you any questions at all about jesus the gospel salvation you celebrate it and you jump on that opportunity Mm -hmm. i have found that as a mom my number one goal And my job is to continually point my daughter to Christ and his great love for her. So, anytime I can talk about the gospel with my child, I do that. So, um, a lot of you are looking at me like, oh my goodness, like I don't know how to share the gospel with my child. Where do I start? What scriptures do I use? How do I tell them about sin? And I totally get that. But do not worry, mom and dad. We are here for you as a church. And obviously, CF Kids is here for you as a children's ministry. And we have an excellent resource that we actually use in CF Kids to talk to your children about the gospel. And it's called The Gospel God's Plan for Me. It's a little booklet, and it walks um, your child through the entire gospel. It's filled with scripture, and it even has, um, like, a sample prayer at the end for you to use as a guideline um, if you're not sure, like, how to even pray that with your little one. So if you are interested in this, you can pick it up in our kids' area. You just ask your children's director, and they will be more than happy uh, to give you a copy of this. And so after I present the gospel to any child, I follow it up with this question. I say, now that you've heard the greatest story ever told, the greatest news, if a friend of yours from school said, how can I be a follower of Christ? How can I be a part of God's forever family? What would you say And their answer to that question shows you a lot of how much they understood and where their heart is. And if they're really doing it for you, mommy or daddy, which is normal because they love you Mm -hmm. and they want to make you happy. If they at all say that, then you can reassure them of your love for them that this has nothing to do with that. That this is not a mommy-daddy thing. This is a them and God thing. And when they're ready to do that on their own, that you're so excited and you can't wait and you'll be here to talk to them about it again. So that's how I would answer it. All right,
1: awesome. hey, great. Wow, right on the money right there. Awesome, thanks so much, Steph. No
0: problem.
2: Okay. Thanks, Steph. My
0: pleasure.
2: Let's give it up for Stephanie. Great job. Thank God for our children. Amen. All
1: right, question number nine. How long, sh- oh boy, oh boy, how long should I wait for my boyfriend to propose?
2: Oh, boy. Hey, we're all laughing, but the person who wrote that's not laughing that's at all, right. right? That's right. So the short answer for me was if he's been dating you a long time, not much longer. In fact, I would say you need the answer to three basic questions if you're, if you're in that situation. Number one, you need, so, so since this is a girl asking it, boyfriend, yes, so, so girl asking it, I think first thing you need to ask that person, you need to ask the guy, do you have an intention to marry? Do you have a desire to get married? And do you have a desire to marry me? Because I think a lot of guys are in relationships and all they want is the the physical gratification for that, Mm. that relationship. They have no desire to get married. And by the way, guys, if you are dating a girl and you have no intention of marrying her, you need to stop dating her.
0: Absolutely.
2: Because you're leading her. I think God has wired, God has wired girls, God has wired wisdom uh, women to, to want to go to that nesting part, to create that family. And so, if you're dating a girl, you have no intention of marrying her, you need to stop it mm. and cut it off. Because you, you're, you're doing damage and you're, you're stringing that person along. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't do it. So, number one, you need to ask him. Number one, uh, <laughs> what did I say? Okay, (laughs) so number one, you need to ask him, do you have a desire to marry me? Number two, you need to say, when's the date? (laughs) Now, we're laughing, but I'm serious. You need to say, okay, if so, when? And it needs to be sooner than later, amen? (laughs) And the third question you need to ask is, when do I get the ring? I'm very serious about that. Do you want to get married? So, okay, when? Set a date. I'm not going to just string this along, and it, can't, it should be soon, not next year, if you've been dating a long time. Soon. And where's the ring? Because, ladies, if he balks at that, you're, you're dating a player who's playing you. And you need to cut it loose. Wow.
1: No holding back. All right. Question 10. Is it wrong to stay home... And
2: just do church online. Okay, I'm gonna answer that just real quick. Um, our online ministry is designed to not to replace church, but to support it. It's there for folks who cannot get to church, it's there for folks who, who are in mm. hospitals, who are in homes, who are who live in another city, who can't get to Christ fellowship. It's for that. But our goal is that if you're if you're on online, our goal is that somehow if you can, that you'll get tapped into a local, a local campus. campus right. and, and I would say more about that in the book of Revelation, how you need to be a part of God's family and gather together like this and lift our voices corporately mm. to worship God. So, so, on, so online
1: is meant to uh, not to replace yes. our gathering, but to supplement. A- Amen. Okay. Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Pastor. Okay. Question 11. If someone was sexually abused by their parent, uh, would God expect them to forgive their parent? Would God hold it against the child if they hated that parent for what they did to them? Especially if the parent never receives Christ as Savior and never asks that child for forgiveness. Wow,
2: tough question. God bless that person who's asking that question. Amen. God bless Amen. them. So I think what, what I would say, and this is, a, this is an example of, hey, I'm asking for a friend. This mm-hmm. is somebody asking. Yeah. Uh, you know, the first thing I would like to do is frame this for that person. It, 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 number one, anybody who would sexually abuse anybody, child, adult, is, is deviant in their behavior, in their mind. You're, you're looking at a, a very deviant person. I think that's the first thing we need to know. But a person who would, who would molest a child? Is going down a notch from deviant to demonic. I think person who would do this is under the control, and I use I don't I don't throw the demon demon word around, but I think that that kind of person's under the control of a demon, or demons. And then for someone who would be a parent, a person who's called by God to protect a child, to stand up for that child. To love that child, to nurture that child, for that person to molest their child is devilish. You may be dealing with Satan himself. And so I think, I think this girl's, I guess, it's, is this a girl? Does this sound like a lady? No. Well, we don't know. We don't know. But whoever, for this person, they're asking, should I, is it wrong for me to hate that person? Should I forgive them? You know, the, the, the preacher answer to that is, no, you shouldn't hate them. The preacher answer is, you should forgive them immediately. And I think sometimes that, that, that downplays the hurt that mm. person's going through, to just say, you go, you, go, you, go, you go love them and stop hating. Listen, God gave you emotions and God gave you feelings, and I think it's perfectly normal to hate that person who did that to you. I think that's perfectly normal. And I think if you struggle to, to forgive somebody who's never even asked you for forgiveness, I totally get it. I, don't, I think I would struggle with that myself. Yeah. And so, you know, this whole idea that, you know, just go hug that person and put, put, put a big kiss on their cheek and tell them you love them just downplays the pain and, 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 and I think only hurts the person worse. So, so what I would say to you is, should you hate them? No, you should not hate them. But not for their sake, for your sake. I think God wants you to move past hatred because if you don't, not only did they hurt you back there as a child, now you're allowing them to continue to hurt you. Mm. Should you forgive them? Yes, you should forgive them. But maybe not to let them off the hook, but to get yourself off the hook so that you can go on because God has a plan for your life ahead of all Mm. of that. By the way, there's a verse in... Uh, Revelation chapter 6, which we're going to get to in a, in a few weeks as we go back to the book of Revelation. There's a verse that says this. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lamenting verse. It's, it's God's people saying, how long, O oh God, how long before you avenge our blood for those who have persecuted us? How long, God, before you avenge that person? And you know what God says to those people? He, here's what he says. He says, rest. Mm. you just rest I got this God says vengeance is mine so what does God want you to do dear person, whoever you are he would say to you, you rest Mm. you just rest I will deal with that person who assaulted you but I've got a plan for your life for you to move on
1: All right, next question. <clears throat> Why does God allow suffering?
2: An easy one, just to end. Okay. This is <laughs> Boy, pretty much kind of right up against that other one. This is going to be the last one we're going to be able to get because we're over time already. I think the answer to this question lies in a comprehension of the first and final book of the Bible. You will never understand this until you understand the story from the beginning and the end. Mm-hmm. I'm amazed at how many pastors reject teaching the book of Revelation. I don't understand it. That's sort of like saying, I'm going to watch a movie all the way up to the point where there's resolution to everything, and I'm going to stop. I don't want to hear what happens. Um, that's what people do when they don't understand the book of Revelation. They don't understand this because when you understand the first book of the Bible and the resolution of all that, the suffering, you go, okay, I got it, God. At least understand it. So let me, let me help you understand suffering. In the beginning, when God created man and woman, he put them in the Garden of Eden. And he put them in a perfect environment. And God did not write into that blueprint, death or sorrow, or pain, or suffering, or hate, or war, or any of that. He didn't write that in it. He put them in that perfect environment, and in that original God design, God's design was for them to live forever. Hmm. He did not write, we don't understand this. It's hard for us to fathom, but Adam and Eve should be alive today. Now, again, we, we, we just go, what? How could that be? Because we're, we're so used to the laws of physics as they exist right now. We're, you know, everything dies, everything suffers. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the second law of thermodynamics. It's the physio- physical law of entropy. Everything as we know it is that way. But that's not the way God designed it in the beginning. God put them in a perfect environment, no suffering, no sorrow, no pain, no disease, no death. But God warned them. He said, if you sin, you will, you will trigger a curse on everything that will lead to death and disease and sorrow and suffering and hatred and all of these things we just talked about will, will, will be triggered. And you know the story. Adam and Eve listened to Satan. His lie to them was the reason God doesn't want you to have fruit from that tree is because God knows that you'll be smarter if you, if you do that. That's always been Satan's lie, hasn't it? If you go with God, you're going to miss out on something. God withholds good from his people. So if you go with the God thing, you're going to miss out on the fun. You better wait. If you're young, you better wait till you're older because God will make, make you miss the fun. What a lie. And he still sells it today. Adam and Eve bought it, and they threw the world into a curse. Romans 5.12 says, wherefore, is by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, And death by sin, and so death and sorrow, disease passed upon all. And here's what God has decided to do, folks. God has decided to let sin run the course. With the suffering and the pain and the sorrow and Satan and his demons, God has decided to let all of this run a course. And then God will crush it out. It begins with Adam. God will crush it at Armageddon. It begins in the book of Genesis. It will be destroyed in the book of Revelation. It begins in the first book of the Bible. God will destroy it in the final book of the Bible. And in Revelation 21, one of my favorite chapters of the Bible, God crushes Satan, and Satan's gone forever. Amen. Yeah. And then God takes us, yeah, God takes us into a new world where you will have a body like you have now. I've been telling you if you've been here in the book of Revelation, you're not going to spend eternity in heaven as a ghost. Heaven is a temporary stop until the second coming. Mm. We are coming back with Christ to the earth. He's going to create a new earth. You will not be a ghost. You will have a body like you have now. We will go into a world that will be a lot like this one. There will be work. There will be enterprise. There will be fun. There will be joy. There will be activity only without suffering, and disease, and death, and sorrow, and pain. So, so why is there suffering? We are, we, are, we, are, we are in that place between Genesis and Revelation, but I'm telling you, I think we are right on the brink of the return of Christ, and that's what we're going to be talking about in the book of Revelation. Well, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say, if you're here today, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, He loves you. Amen. Maybe as you've been listening to this, you've been thinking, wow, I want to know that God. I want to be a part of his world. Listen, if that's the desire of your heart, he loves you. He wants you to go with him into eternity. And here's how you do that. You say, how do I I receive eternal life? Here's what the Bible says. Very clear, very succinct. God says, everyone, that means you, No matter how bad you may think you are, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will receive eternal life. So what do you need to do to receive eternal life? You don't have to join this church. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to become a member of anything. It's personal. It's between you and God. God says if you will call out to him, he'll give you eternal life. So why don't you do that today? At all of our campuses, let's let's bow our heads. Every campus, every head bowed, every eye closed. Christians, you pray. But if you're here today and you would like to receive Christ as your Savior, as your Lord, call out to him right now. Let me lead you in a prayer. You pray this prayer to him, not to me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for providing the answers to life's questions. Thank you for the Word of God that speaks to my concerns, to my problems, to my life. And thank you for the gift of eternal life. Lord right now, I ask you to forgive all of my sins, my past sins, my present sins, even my future sins. Forgive them all. And I ask you to give me ever-lasting life. Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for not giving up on me. Thank you for giving me eternal life. May I spend the rest of my days following you obeying you, loving you, and being loved by you. In your name I pray, amen. Christ Fellowship, if you're glad for all of those who prayed that prayer, would you let them know it? Yeah, let's give it up for them. Listen, if you prayed that prayer today at all of our campuses, if you'll stop by our Next Step booth at all campuses and tell them you just trusted Christ, they will give you a Bible just like this one. Uh, to help you start your new journey with Christ. So every campus, Next Step booth, go there and they'll give you that Bible. Well, Christ Fellowship, I'm going to ask all our campus pastors to come forward now at your campus. I hope this has been helpful and I want you to know I love you all. Thank you for the privilege of serving you. I love you too. God bless you.
0: What a great message by Pastor Rick. If you made a decision to follow after Christ or to take your next step in baptism, we want to hear about it. Make sure to visit cfmemmyorg connect to fill out a connection card. We want to thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time.